Father, we, uh, we just want to give you praise. We sing Hosanna to you because you're worthy. Jesus, we sing Hosanna to you uh, because you're the Messiah. You, you were the promised Savior and you were obedient to your Father's will and you came and you gave yourself for us. And we will never be able to pay you back, so we don't try. We just, we just want to love you. We want to love you back because of what you've done for us, because you first loved us so well. So I pray that as we look at your word this morning, that you would uh, show us what you want us to gain from it, what you want us to know, and what you want us to do um, based on what you've said in your holy word. So may we respect it this morning, may we be completely engaged with it, and may I share as I should. In Christ's name, amen. Two follow-up comments from last week, if you were here, uh, we talked about, uh, we're in this series called Jesus Questions, and uh, we, were, we were talking about, uh, well, I started, with, I had this example of a donut. You remember that donut example last week? A number of people asked me what happened to the donut, right? And I had to confess that I ate it. So just so we get that out of the way, I ate it. But the other thing, though, I was talking about was closeness with Jesus, abiding in Christ, and... Somebody prayed for me in that room that morning or something. Something happened. Uh, because I think I said during the sermon, you know, I, I do devotions. I, I try to, usually I try to meditate on scriptures throughout the week that connect with the, the Sunday message. Stuff that maybe I'm not preaching on that verse, but it's just related. You know, it's just related to the topic. And I just want to, I want to be meditating that whole week on the kind of things I'm going to say on Sunday. Because in a minute, it could just come out of my mouth. I could just, you know, there's a scripture right there, ready to go because I've been meditating all week on this thing, and what does it mean for me? And I, I started Monday morning, I'm writing this sermon for today. And I went to 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, and we're going to go there too, but I read this passage about you know, the glory of God, and, and I just start crying. I'm, I'm just like crying in my office, you know? And uh, I feel kind of weird, like I hope nobody can hear me out there, you know? And, and uh I'm like, this doesn't happen to me. It's never happened. I mean, I remember I said last Sunday it happens like every once in a blue moon. But don't expect that to happen. So somebody must have prayed for me because I was just a mess on Monday. I mean, I'm trying to write this thing and I'm like, okay, calm down now. It's all right, you know. And so then I, I look back at the verse again and I start crying again like, but what Christ has done for me, you know, me of all people. Why? You know, that's what I kept coming back to. You know, who am I really that Christ has given me his blessings like this? So um, I, I got myself sick during the week, uh, and so I'm kind of, my mind's still a little cloudy this morning. I'm just going to say that off the bat, too. I don't feel as sharp as I want to be, so I'm just going to trust God to take whatever he's got. And uh, if I pause for a minute, don't think I'm trying to say something with weight. It's just because I don't know the next thing I'm going to say. So, <clears throat> all right, <laughs> here we go. Uh, I remember my first day of college like it was yesterday. Uh, it wasn't even the first day of college. It was really the drop-off day, okay? It was, it was the drop-off day. We call it D-Day, right? Drop-off. Um, and uh, I remember driving to Moody Bible Institute downtown Chicago, and my parents were there. Christy was there. We were dating. And uh, my parents dropped me off at the school, and they unloaded all my stuff, and it was like mid-afternoon. And, and I'm thinking... It's mid-afternoon, it's about two and a half hours home, surely we're going to spend a little more time in Chicago together. We're probably going to go to dinner, we're probably going to hang out a little bit, because I'm in a new city, I know nobody here, surely we're going to hang out a little bit. 
But they just left. They just left. Okay? Have you done this to your kids? Just got to know, right? (laughs) And uh, I remember them just leaving. And I wasn't ready because we didn't talk about how this was going to play out. And I got all my stuff in my room. It's not unpacked yet. and, And I'm just sitting there and they just leave. And I'm thinking, what have I gotten myself into? I'm in a huge city. I know zero people. Class doesn't start until next week because this is orientation week for freshmen. I'm not going to walk two steps out my door because if I go two blocks, I'm not going to find my way back. And, uh, and I might get mugged. And, and who knows? And I, I've never felt so alone. It's that moment. Now, it didn't last long, fortunately, because within a few hours, I kind of set up my, my desk area and I kind of got my bearings in my room, which wasn't too hard because it was pretty small. And, uh, and I realized if, if I'm here new, surely other people are probably feeling the same way. We got to band together, you know? <laughs> so I went out there and I found people, you know, and, and we connected and it was all okay. They had the, the great scared look in their face, just like I did. Uh, but I'll just never forget those two hours where it was just like, I am so, so alone. And I know nobody. This morning I want to talk about an even greater absence than that. I want to talk about what is it to be separated from the glory of God. Because as as difficult as it might be to be away from a loved one, even to lose a loved one, the most frightening proposition imaginable to us would be to be separated entirely from the glory of your Creator. That's where I want to go this morning on Palm Sunday. So would you take a Bible and go to Ezekiel chapter 10? We're going to get to Palm Sunday triumphal entry in a minute. But I want to start in Ezekiel chapter 10. If you know where Daniel's at, you just go one, one book before. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. It's uh, page 591 if you're using a Bible in your pew. Let's do a one-minute catch-up with Ezekiel. Ezekiel's called by God in chapter 3 to go to a rebellious people of Israel. God says they're rebellious and they're going to have a hard time listening to you. And so he says, I want your forehead to be like the hardest stone, harder than flint. You know, you're going to go to them and you're going to say some hard things. You're going to be a hard prophet for them to handle. But they need to hear it. And then if you look later, you know, you've got like uh, chapter 8. Chapter 8, Ezekiel looks in the temple and there's actually idol worship going on in the temple. Literally, there are people bowing down to idols in God's temple. And God says, because of this, I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave, he says in chapter 8, because of all of this idol worship in my temple. So now we get to chapter 10. And God makes good on his promise. I'm going to read the entirety of chapter 10. So just bear with me and just just feel the weight of the words. Imagine yourself being one of the original hearers and what this would have felt like to hear this. Ezekiel says, I looked... 
and I saw the likeness of a throne of sapphire above the expanse that was over the heads of the cherubim. The Lord said to the man clothed in linen, Go in among the wheels beneath the cherubim. Fill your hands with the burning coals from among the cherubim and scatter them over the city. And as I watched, he went in. Now the cherubim were standing on the south side of the temple when the man went in, and a cloud filled the inner court. We're in the temple. Then the glory of the Lord rose from above the cherubim and moved to the threshold of the temple. The cloud filled the temple, and the court was full of the radiance of the glory of the Lord. The sound of the wings of the cherubim could be heard as far away as the outer court, like the voice of God Almighty when He speaks. When the Lord commanded the man in linen, take fire from among the wheels, from among the cherubim, the man went in and stood beside a wheel. Then one of the cherubim reached out his hand to the fire that was among them. He took up some of it and put it into the hands of the man in linen, who took it and went out. Under the wings of the cherubim could be seen what looked like the hands of a man. I looked and I saw beside the cherubim four wheels, one beside each of the cherubim, and their appearance, I'm sorry, the wheels sparkled like chrysolite. As for their appearance, the four of them looked alike. Each was like a wheel intersecting a wheel. As they moved, they would go in any of the four directions the cherubim faced. The wheels did not turn about as the cherubim went. The cherubim went in in whatever direction the head faced without turning as they went. Their entire bodies, including their backs, their hands, and their wings, were completely full of eyes, as were their four wheels. I heard the wheels being called the whirling wheels. Each of the cherubim had four faces. One face was that of a cherub, the second the face of a man, the third the face of a lion, the fourth the face of an eagle. Then the cherubim rose upward. These were the living creatures I had seen by the Kabar River. When the cherubim moved, the wheels beside them moved. When the cherubim spread their wings to rise from the ground, the wheels did not leave their side. When the cherubim stood still, they also stood still. When the cherubim rose, they rose with them because the spirit of the living creatures was in them. Verse 18. Then the glory of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple and stopped above the cherubim. While I watched, the cherubim spread their wings and rose from the ground, and as they went, the wheels went with them. They stopped at the entrance to the east gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of the God of Israel was above them. These were the living creatures I had seen beneath the God of Israel by the Kabar River, and I realized that they were the cherubim. Each had four faces and four wings, under their wings what looked like the hands of a man. Their faces had the same appearance as those I had seen by the Kabar River. Each one went straight ahead. <clears throat> then would you jump over to chapter 11, verse 22. Then the cherubim with the wheels beside them spread their wings and the glory of the God of Israel was above them. The glory of the Lord went up from within the city and stopped above the mountain east of it. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the exiles in Babylonia and the vision given by the Spirit of God. So we have the glory of God leaving the temple in Israel because of the rebelliousness of the people, because they were actually bowing down to idols in the temple of God, says chapter 8. God says, because of that, I am leaving. I'm taking my glory and I'm going. It should be a frightening thing to think about being separated from the glory of God. Now, what is glory? Um, I've, I've read 
uh, Pastor John Piper enough to know that it's a hard thing to define because he has a hard time trying to define it. But uh, I, lo- I love John Piper's definition, so I'm going to give it to you because I, li- I like it a lot. The glory of God is, uh, and I better, I better quote it. My mind's not quite there. God's glory is the infinite beauty and greatness of his manifold perfections. So what he's saying is, there's many things that are perfect about God. He has many perfections. The glory of God is like the beauty that shines off of those perfections. Beauty. If you want one word, maybe you could say it's beauty. Beauty is not something that you have an easy time putting words to. I mean, what is beauty? Is, is beauty a uh, 30-year-old woman uh, that, that led worship on the stage? Well, of course she is, Christy. Yes, of course. But, but beauty is, is something that, that you see it and you know it. You just know it. I looked and I saw her. She's beautiful, you know, and I can say that. But when we talk about the glory of God, you could be talking about any one of his many perfections. You could be talking about his holiness. You know, he's, he's completely pure, sinless. And, and holiness means he's set apart, which means there's nobody like him. There's nobody like him. When, when you see Jesus in heaven, that's one of the things you're going to feel. You're going to be like, there's nobody like him. And that's going to be a reflection of his glory. That's going to be the way you, uh, you take in his beauty. You could talk about his love. His love is a glorious thing that goes after us even when we are walking away, as a good shepherd does to the lost sheep. These are glorious things about God. So when we say the glory of God, we're talking about the beauty that comes from his many, many perfections. Now, to be separated from his beauty has got to be the most frightening thing imaginable. Here's why. In your bulletin, you have a few verses in your notes. I'll call your attention to a few of them. This first part, uh, number one then, is the terrible absence of the glory of God. The terrible absence of the glory of God. Romans one twenty three says that people exchanged the glory... The glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. People said, I can have the glory of God, His love, His holiness, His righteousness. I can have all of that or I can go after stuff in this life. I can go after money and pleasure and popularity and and climbing the social ladder and being well-liked by people because of whatever. I can go after all of these, these sinful things, these, these created things that, that are so less than, than, than the glory of God. And so it's like we've got to go after something. We're, we're, we're going to highly value something. We're going to worship something. We can either go after the glory of God that, that, that we're never going to fully experience probably in this life, but we will in the next. We're going to experience it in an amazing way. Or we can go after this created stuff. And I know no one's got a snake carving that they're bowing down to in the morning. And if you do, let's talk afterwards, please. Um, but, you know, our pieces of wood are paper. It's money, right? It's, it, it's the pleasures of this world that God has said are sin. We, we know this. We, we know what the sins are that you're most tempted with. You know what you struggle with. I know what I struggle with. And I'm willing to exchange perfection and glory for that. 
You want your lust or do you want your glory? Well, what do you want? Okay, this, this is what God is saying here in Romans 1. You're exchanging it. And you thought you got the better end of the deal. Right. Romans 1. Uh, Philippians 3.19. Uh, Paul says, Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. That, that's their desires, what they want. And their glory is in their shame. Their minds on earthly things. Their glory is in their shame. People do shameful things today that they wouldn't even want to say in a group of people, but maybe amongst their closest friends they talk about. People do shameful things and it feels good, it feels right, and it's all because they're missing out on the glory of God. They, They could have this and they've taken that. And so shame becomes glorious to them. Shameful things become beautiful when you subtract God from your life. How's that for a description of some things happening in American culture? (laughs) Shameful things become glorious when you subtract God from your life. Okay? How about 2 Thessalonians 1.9? They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty, that's the word glory, by the way, and the glory of His power. People are separated from the glory of God's power forever. They will, people in hell will never know love the way they might have tried to experience it in this life. They'll be shut away from the power of God's love, from the power of God's mercy, from His glorious presence. What they only get is wrath and justice. It's a frightening thing to be separated from the glory of God. It's a frightening thing. Let's go to Palm Sunday. This is all going somewhere. Go to Matthew chapter 21. Those of you that like mysteries, you'll love this kind of a sermon because it kind of, it sets up, it builds on itself, right? You get to the end and you say, ah, yes, I see. Uh, Matthew 21. Uh, verse 1. We're on page 697 in the Blue Bibles if you're using one of those. And we're going to read uh, 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you, says anything to you, tell them the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus! 
the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Who is this? Who is this? It's not a question that Jesus asks. It's a question the crowds asked about him. Who is this? And the people answered, well, this is a prophet. You know, it's like, okay, prophet. It, does, does that go far enough? Is that, is, that a be, is that the best description we can do? He's a prophet from Nazareth. That's who he is. I mean, maybe that's the best they could do at the time. But I read that and go, but, but he's so much more. There's so much more going on here. There's so much more. I want to show you a couple maps uh, to show you Jesus' path into Jerusalem. Um, I hope you can see this. Um, if not, I will, uh, I'll talk you through it. At the bottom, towards the bottom, you see Bethany, the little dot on the far right. When Jesus, uh, Jesus was staying in Bethany, and as he was traveling into Jerusalem, this is Sunday of Jesus' last week, he traveled up north to Bethphage, and that's where they got the donkey, and then uh, they went to the Mount of Olives, and they crossed over the Mount of Olives, crossing the Kidron Valley, and they went into the temple. Okay, Now, Matthew doesn't record the temple scene. I want to show you in Mark. Mark's got the temple scene. You don't have to go there if you don't want to, but um, it's in Mark 11 if you want to see it. Um, Mark 11, uh, verse 11. When, when the people were shouting Hosanna, it says, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So Mark tells us some information that Matthew doesn't. Mark tells us that Jesus, from the Mount of Olives, went into Jerusalem. People were shouting Hosanna, and he went all the way into the temple. And then it says, Mark says, he looked around at the temple. He just looked around at everything. And then he went back out and he went back to Bethany and stayed the night there. Monday morning is when he goes into the temple and he starts uh, getting angry at the stuff going on in the temple and turns over tables and things. Matthew picks up that part of the story. But, but, but the anger in the temple is, is Monday morning. Sunday, Jesus just walks into the temple. He looks around, but it's already late. And so he leaves and goes back the way he came, back to Bethany. Okay. Uh, Next uh, map slide, if we could get that one. I don't know if you can see this a little better. I wanted to give you a couple views in case one was kind of hard to discern. Um, This is Jerusalem at the time of the siege by Titus. That's around 70 AD, maybe 40 years after Christ, but still pretty accurate. Um, So you can imagine, again, in the south, Jesus comes up and he goes into the Mount of Olives to the top there, and then, and then he crosses over the valley of the Kidron into Jerusalem, into the temple. Where did the glory of God go? Let me read it again for you in Ezekiel 11. This is Ezekiel 11.22. So we're going back. You don't have to go there. You can listen because you've already read it with me. The cherubim with the wheels beside them spread their wings, and the glory of the God of Israel was above them. The glory of the Lord went up from within the city, the glory of the Lord went up from within the city and stopped above the mountain east of it. What is the mountain east of it? Back to the map if you could. Sorry, I'm really making Jim earn his paycheck today. Um, let's see. The glory of the Lord went up to the mountain east of it. What's the mountain east of it? It's the Mount of Olives. Where was Jesus at during the, during the, the, the triumphal entry? He was at the Mount of Olives. Jesus traces 
the same path that the glory of the Lord left Israel hundreds of years ago back in Ezekiel. Do you see that? It's the same path. Ezekiel 11, verse 22, uh, 23 says, the glory of the Lord stopped at the mountain east of the city. Who is this, the people said? Who is this? Is it the prophet from Nazareth? More. This is the glory of God. This is the glory of God. Hebrews 1, verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. Right? The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. So let me shift gears. Number two then. The awesome presence of the glory of God. This is Jesus. Jesus is the glory of God. His disciples wrote about Him and said, we, we've seen His glory in John chapter 1. We saw it. We saw the glorious one. And, and I know, I get it. His, his glory was veiled with flesh. It's not like he walked around every day like the Mount of Transfiguration shining with everybody going, I can hardly see, you know. One day we will see him like that. They didn't see it completely. A lot of them just missed the boat. But for those who knew, for those who had eyes to see, he is the glory of God, the beauty of the Almighty God. And 2 Thessalonians 2.14 says this. And it's in your notes. He called you to this through our gospel, our good news, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> this is about the point where I started weeping on Monday. <laughs> like, you're telling me that you value your glory above everything else. God values himself above everything. He says, you, God says, you will have no other gods before me. Does God have other gods before himself? No. It stands to reason. (laughs) So if God values himself the way he should, if God knows how glorious he really is, and then he says, I want to give you myself, that's amazing. That that he wants to share it with us. That one day I'm going to have a glorified body in heaven. One day I'm going to see him in his glory and it's going to make me fall to my knees. And I'm going to see whatever those cherubim were with all the eyes and say, that's what Ezekiel was trying to describe. I get it now. That's what John in the book of Revelation was trying to get his mind around. You know, the eagle face and the human face and the, you know, those are just the creatures. That's not even the creator. And to be in his presence and his glory, one day we're going to experience that. If you believe the good news that Christ has died for your sins and was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. It's for you. And even more, you receive some of it right now. On the back of your bulletin, your notes, you have 2 Corinthians 3. Uh, (laughs) I had a hard time reading this one on Monday. Even though I've read this this passage many times, it it just hit me like a, a ton of bricks. 2 Corinthians 3, 7. If you don't have notes, I'll let it give you a second to go there if you want. 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 11. 
Now, if the ministry that brought death, this is talking about the Old Testament law, by the way. This is talking about Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not. And we've all broken some of those thou shalt nots. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? What he's saying there is, Moses in the Old Testament, you remember Moses, let my people go, talking to Pharaoh. Moses spent time with God. He received the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments were all about, well, they were showing us where we fail so well. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. And I've done a lot of those thou shalt nots. And so that was a ministry of, of condemnation. I need a Savior. But, but that ministry that Moses had with the Ten Commandments, he spent time in the presence of God. And, and the Old Testament says his face shined. Literally. Because he was with God, his face would shine, and people would look at him, and, and they would be like, I, I, can't, I can't quite do that. You know, it's kind of hard, Moses. Can you, kinda, can you put something over your face? Because I, I can't handle it what I said when I saw Christy on my wedding day, right? I just can't, can't handle it. <laughs> um, I can't take it. And, and, uh, and now this says, this passage, Paul has the audacity to say, verse 9, if the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? Jesus died so that God would look at you and say, you're righteous, you're right with me, there's no sin here, you're forgiven. Okay? It brings righteousness. For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. This is the glory of the Spirit that goes and lives inside you and lives inside me that know Christ. I have something glorious living within this body that still sins on a daily basis. And I think that's what hit me the most on Monday. I'm like, why did you give me this, God? I don't deserve any of it. Because I'm going to fail today, I'm going to fail tomorrow, I'm going to fail the next day. And yet, you've given me glory that surpasses the glory you gave Moses that shined off his face and people couldn't see it. And you wonder why you drive people crazy with your God talk, you know? (laughs) I love Jesus. Would you keep Jesus to yourself? Of course people feel that way. It's shining off of you, right? And if it's not shining off of you, you need to take the veil off, (laughs) You know, uh, it's okay. This is what we have coming off of us. Have you, have you ever been around a Christian that kind of drives you crazy just because they seem to love Jesus so much? And you're like, I don't love him like that. Why do you get to love him like that? Well, you can. Because he's glorious and he's put that in you. Last week was all about desiring Christ. Do you desire Christ the way that you should? Okay? I spent a long time talking about that, but I never told you why. Why should you desire Christ above all things? Because there is nothing in the universe like His glory. There's no beauty like that. And in this life, 
I know, not every day do I have those moments, again, like Monday, where I was just like, it just hit me, and for half an hour I'm just weeping. I don't, I don't get that a lot. But when I'm in the presence of God in heaven, I know it's going to be amazing. And I wouldn't trade that for any sinful pleasure on earth and any other enticement or temptation. I'm not trading God's glory for these shameful things that the world offers. And I pray that you don't either. Because the absence of the glory of God is a terrifying thing. But the presence of the glory of God living in us, living in you, is amazing. And maybe it's just the realization that that is what he's given you. He's given you his spirit. You're now the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. And he's not going to vacate. He's not going to vacate that temple. Um, No, I'm not going to... uh, give you a direct application today. I probably did a little bit already. What I really foresee happening right now is I just want to give you a minute or two silently for you to think, what what does this mean to me? What does it mean? Okay? Usually the preacher tells you what you're supposed to do. I just want you to think, what am I supposed to do with this? What I've just heard. God's given me his glory. God's given that to me. I'm... I'm comparing the, the, the stuff in this life that, that entices me. I'm comparing that stuff. It's like, it's like a bonfire compared to the sun, the glory of the sun compared to the bonfires of this world that attract our attention and say, ooh, it glows, it's, it looks cool. But God's glory is incredibly much, so much brighter than that. Take a minute, close your eyes and ask God, what would he have you do? Jesus, uh, thank you for sending your spirit to take up residence in this, in this body, this temple that I have. I'm so sorry that so often I've, you know, I can point to so many times when what is shameful seems best. What is immediate seems smart. What is temporary looks really good. I'm sorry for those times when I didn't when I didn't go after your glory. When I didn't desire it the way I should have. Help me live for your glory. Live for your praise. Live to glorify you and honor you and lift you up among all people, including myself. There's no one like you. There's no one glorious like you. And and I pray for every person here, wherever their hearts are at right now, whatever they heard this morning, whatever they they got from Ezekiel and from Matthew, I, I just pray that 
that they'd be able to shout Hosanna, that they would be able to, to shout Hosanna all of their days, the rest of their life, and, and, and make you first, make you number one, and live for your glory and not for their own. May we be a church that's passionate about your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.